Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. I'm first excited to welcome Nobel Prize nominated doctor, best-selling author, and emergency room physician, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? I know you're excited about our guest today. Wow, you know what? Hey, I'm doing great, Neil. And it's always great to, to be here with the interviews because uh, I think we have a renaissance, man, today. Very motivational. I really think this is what America needs to hear, so I'm very excited. All right, who's our guest, Chris? Well, you know what? We actually have a gentleman who is an inventor. We have an author. Uh, incidentally, a 10-year-plus NFL veteran, uh, a survivor. You know what? I'm very excited, very honest. Welcome to the show uh, Mr. Steve Wright. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you, doctor. Pleasure to be here. All right, Chris, go ahead. Let's rock it and roll. Well, no problem. You know what? And so, you know, Steve, tell us a little bit about just about your upbringing. I mean, um, I think, uh, you were from Iowa, I believe. Um, I'm not sure. Actually, you tell us, tell us kind of where you grew up and, um, how'd you end up in, uh, end up, uh, in uh, football? Okay. It's, uh, I'll try to give the, the somewhat short version, but I, I grew up in the Midwest, uh, mostly Minneapolis. My father was a salesman for a can, canning company for 30 years, and so we traveled around. We were moving about every two years, but I was like born in St. Louis and then Minnesota and Chicago and Connecticut and back to Minnesota a few more times before I graduated from high school. Played all the sports in high school growing up, just having fun with all my boys. And then I got a scholarship uh, offers from a few different Division II schools, ended up at the University of Northern Iowa. All my dad's relatives were from Iowa. And so they also had a domed stadium, which was about the biggest magnet that brought me down there in a full ride. Um, got down to Cedar Falls, Iowa. and played tight end and, and offensive tackle, and then started receiving some uh, notice and letters from NFL teams that just blew me away because I didn't even have it in my, in my crosshairs. I was just enjoying playing the game. And then uh, Dallas was rose to the top. I signed as a free agent with them in uh, 1981, along with 120 other free agents. And through tenacity, awesome, awesome. hard work, and good luck, and mentoring and everything, I was one of three of 123 agents to make the team. Wow, that's oh, unbelievable. Great. So let's talk about specifically that experience in co college when you talked about, you didn't talk about that in last interview. Tell us more of that experience uh, of being, uh, your college experience, especially Dome Stadium and all that. Yeah, it was... Uh, Got down there to play offensive, uh, play play tight end. It was again, like I said, with all my relatives there, so it was a family reunion. I was very close with my dad's parents, um, which were a couple hours away, and they'd all come in and spend the weekend. Um, it's kind of considered a, a suitcase school. Everybody splits on the weekend, but we had this stadium, this uh, dome stadium that seated, I think, about sixteen thousand people, and that was packed. Just a, a, an amazing experience playing indoors, you know, winters and late falls in, in Iowa can be pretty ugly. Um, so the Dome Stadium was a real savior. I developed a lot of great friendships when I signed with the Dallas Cowboys. I had about at least probably 10 other buddies from college 
come down to Dallas. It was the hottest city on the planet at the time in the early 80s. And job offers were huge and big money was made. And um, so we took all my crazy college buddies and packed us all into Dallas and lost our minds down there for a few years. Wow. You know what? That's exciting. That's very, very exciting. Well, you know, let's, let's move uh, ahead. You know, he's kind of, you know, Steve's one of the few people that's played in the NFL. I mean, really, uh, for that length of time. I think the average plays about three years. But tell us a little bit about, he's an inventor, you know, and I know that uh, he invented something that was very interesting for cooling for the NFL and was used for other places uh, uh, across the world. Tell us about that, Steve. It was uh, 1990 after I played with the Raiders out here in Los Angeles for about four years. <clears throat> I was uh, right before preseason started in late July, early August. I was in Palm Springs uh, at a restaurant and there was a mist blowing around the restaurant, keeping the patrons cool. And after a couple of margaritas, I thought this is, this would be pretty nice on our sidelines and talked to the manager, how to set this thing up and <clears throat> came back and asked Art Shell, my head coach at the time, if we could do it and, uh, got it put out there on the sidelines and it just blew everybody away. Everybody just loved it. It was everything that I had predicted. It's, uh, mid-August uh, in the Coliseum. It's 80 degrees. There's not a breath of air stirring and our sideline was cool and chilly and everybody was feeling great. And so then after the game, uh, it turned out there was a couple of guys that owned large stables at Hollywood Park, which is right here in Los Angeles, the horse track, and got their car and went over and had my first business meeting, asked if I could do something on, uh, in their uh, stables. And this was, I'm not an inventor here. I just found uh, a great tool and found different applications for it. And so I went over there in the off season and, and set up a bunch of the, the uh, stables. And then somebody else wanted some of this at their restaurants and hotels and kind of one thing turned into another. And then, uh, about 94 when the team was getting ready to move to Oakland, I was going to be going into my actual 13th year of football. I sat out one year uh, with shoulder and then I played in the USFL. So I was physically and more mentally just getting tired of the game. And I had a lot of contacts there and a potential business if I focused on it. So I did the hardest thing I could imagine. And I said, I'm retiring. And once I said that it was, I felt the biggest, heaviest backpack come off and I was free not to, you know, get away from the macho thing, get away from all the guys in the locker room. I had a beautiful relationship with everybody, but I was, I was ready to move on to something else and incorporated my company called Cloudburst and got a bunch more sales, brought in a partner to manage the uh, financials. And I got out on the road and started hitting it. Uh, uh, got into something like 1500 different Home Depots and Lowe's and Targets and Costco and Walmarts. And um, that was the low end side of our business, the low pressure, the high pressure was the, the pumps and the misting fans. And we we didn't do any advertising. It was just word of mouth. We had a website back in 94, you know, back in the early days of, of uh, the internet. 
And one thing led to another, it's just doors kept opening. And our motto was good news is we got the job. Bad news is we got the job, figure it out. And we had no idea a lot of times what we were doing, but we just charged headlong into it. Like the Olympics, the 96 summer Olympics. And I've, I've got a great story, I, you know, I could share with you on that, but I landed the Summer Olympics in uh, Hotlanta in 1996, and just it was a stellar performance by our team. We brought in my brother and a few other guys, um, so we just worked our tail off. We found out the Olympics were in Atlanta, but it was also in Birmingham, Alabama, and um, Miami, and uh, about six or seven other cities. It, it was it was a job, but really launched us. And I'm, I got them on aircraft carriers and wow. uh, working with Burlington Northern and really turned into an amazing business by just saying yes and figuring it out. We had no idea how we were going to do half these jobs, but just go. And you know, you're not, not going to have that opportunity. If the door opens, my whole thing in this book is charge. Exactly. And you never know where those opportunities are going to come by and when they happen. And when we feel the worst feeling sometimes in our careers, something else comes and we're like, why do we feel that way? Yeah. And and my, my thing has always been really kind of keeping my head out of it. Cause you can think of a million reasons why I shouldn't try to go to Atlanta and, and try to win a contract when we hadn't even cooled a little town, you know, uh, fair right and all of a sudden we're cooling off the the largest sporting event in history and that's steve we talked about that on the last time you were on my show so that story was amazing but that's treating people right now let's let's talk uh chris I'll, you have another question in a second but i wanted to talk about how you discovered this how did you work with that restaurant when you figured that out how did that work business-wise where you created this to make it a business I'm not really quite sure of the the question, except for how like you I, you started, saw, started seeing the idea and you improved the idea, what you saw in the restaurant. Yeah, well, it just it was the same thing that I saw over at the restaurants in Palm Springs. It's actually a very simple system. It's water shooting through uh, metal pipe, a uh, little quarter inch, three quarter inch metal pipe with the nozzles on it <clears throat> that we could buy the parts anywhere, the pumps and the motors and. And it's just finding the applications for it. So we were doing it at kennels. Um, the, the applications were absolutely endless. And anybody that came to us would say yes and and get it done sooner or later. It's almost like a light show, right? There's no real patent, meaning like people do light shows and perform light shows in a way. It's a different comparison, but that's what it's kind of like, right? You came up with this idea, then you figured out how you can make it larger and bigger and serve more people. Right. Yeah. And and be the first one out and and go and go hard because we had a lot of copycats coming into the NFL. Um, big, big fan or big mist or something came into the NFL. And by the time we started pulling out of the NFL, these guys were going in. From my understanding, they had to pay to be on the sidelines. And then a lot of the restaurants and everything, it was just get in there and and get a, get the sales fast and get the jobs done. Because we we had, like I said, the, the competition was was close behind us. Yeah, no problem. You know, like you said, he's been opening doors all his life. I want to tell me about that door you opened for that 99-yard run by Tony Dorsell. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, that was in Minneapolis. I was 21 years old, a rookie, playing on all the special teams. So we're, we're receiving the ball, a kickoff return in the third quarter, and we fumbled the ball on the half-yard line. And so I'm coming off the field, and my offensive line coach pushed me back and said, take the right guard position. A guy named uh, Scott Peterson couldn't get his shoe back on. So he's stumbling around, and he can't get it back on. And so I'm getting pushed in to the first Monday night game at the Metrodome in Minneapolis. I've got 40 tickets that I thought at the beginning of the game were the worst seats. Now they're, they're in the end zone, about three rows up. And that's where we started from the 90 for the 99 and a half yard run. So I'm standing out there and I'm looking over and there's Drew Pearson, who four years earlier, I was sitting in the stands before this Metro Dome was built. We were sitting outside in the snow and, you know, 20 degrees below zero and freezing. And Drew Pearson caught what is coined the Hail Mary to beat the Minnesota Vikings. And I'm at the game. I'm in 10th grade. And now fast forward four years, I'm standing in the huddle on Monday night football with Drew Pearson as my teammate. And we're bumping five. And, you know, uh, then I look over and Tony Dorsett's standing there. And I'm, I'm the youngest guy in the huddle. And my parents are 20 yards away, three rows up in the end zone. And all my buddies, my neighbors, I'm giving them the thumbs up without trying to let the camera see me. And and uh, Danny White called the play just to get a couple of yards for Tony Dorsett to run up the middle between myself and the center. And I ended up getting a great block, um, <laughs> lucky or whatever, I don't know. But Dorsett's, all I, I was on the ground, I saw Dorsett's feet fly by me. I jumped up and he was clear and cleared through the line and running up the sideline for 99 and a half yards. And I was, so I was in for one play. When I, we finished, I ran down to the end zone. We're all jumping around. I came back out. Kurt Peterson got his shoe back on. I was in for one play that whole game offensive, offensive uh, play. Otherwise I was on all the special teams, but it was, it was one of the more remarkable things in my long career. But it was a story thing that you'll always tell that story. That's the exciting thing about it. Think about it. You're home, like all your friends and family are here. You're just supposed to play special teams and you have one of the biggest plays in Dallas Cowboy history that you're a part of. You know? through, the course, through the course of the year on Monday Night Football, they're always kind of showing old highlights from Bo Jackson or something. There's always the Tony Dorsett 99 and a half yard run that's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Did you put anything in the Hall of Fame, or when you go to the Hall of Fame, you have to take a picture? <laughs> yeah, I, and it's, I've never been to the Hall of Fame. I've always kind of wanted to go, but just haven't made it there yet. It's you know, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Canton, in but... Canton. I know I'm not gone, and I'm in Pittsburgh. I've never gone to the Hall of Fame in Canton or any of the games or anything. I don't know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> but go figure. What a, what an amazing story. Go ahead, Chris. Next question. I mean, that it's certainly an amazing story. So. Now, tell us a little bit about Survivor. How did you end up on Survivor? Without having to, he, we, as part one showed, he can't talk much about it, but you can at least say how you got the connect. Sure. Yes. Um, I go down once or twice a year to see my old teammate, Howie Long, at Fox Studio. And Jimmy Johnson was on Survivor the year before. I didn't even know that. Well, wow. He's got a guest there in the green room 
um, that is the head casting director, uh, thanking her for his time on Survivor. And I guess they were good friends and everything. And um, they, she asked if I want to try out. And I said, you know, I had never seen the show, but I just said yes. And next thing I know, I landed in Nicaragua. And 31 days later, I get voted off and I've already lost 33 pounds. And I get back to uh, Los Angeles and I haven't seen my parents or talked to them in over two months because they really, really kind of quarantine you and take all your, you can't be talking to your children or your wife or anything. Um, so I was getting ready to go see my folks and my front tooth was bugging me. So I went and saw my dentist, he took an x-ray and he came back and he goes, we're going to pull that right now. My front tooth, you're not going to pull my, you know, it's just a little sore. We're pulling it. He goes, you have more bacteria in there than I've ever seen. This kills people in third world countries because this was my toothbrush for a month. And so they pulled my front tooth. I went and saw my parents and I started the game at 250 pounds, which they were always used to seeing me at just a steady 250. I showed up at their house at 219 pounds with no front tooth. He's <laughs> just like, what are you doing? I look like a crack addict or something. You have Survivor fans recognize you ever? And stuff like that? It's funny, yeah. It, it almost recognized me more for Survivor than, than my full year. I, I, I spent 30 days on the show in, in uh, Nicaragua on Survivor, and I'm more recognized there than I am in my 13 years in the NFL and, and the USFL. Where'd you play in the USFL? Who'd you Pardon? play for? Who'd you play in the Invaders. I left the, I went with, uh, I, I got traded from the Dallas Cowboys to the Baltimore Colts and then went with them in the middle of the night to Indianapolis and then uh, tried to renegotiate with the Colts and they were one of the lower paying teams and the USFL was just had wheelbarrow full of money. And so I signed with them and ended up in Oakland. And then so my head coach, once the season ended, we were in the championship game. My head coach, Charlie Sumner, had been the defensive coordinator for the uh, Los Angeles Raiders for the previous 10 years. So he was invited back and he brought myself and a couple other guys. That's, that's, that's what ended up in L.A. That's cool. All right. Good, Chris. Another question. Wow, that's just incredible. You know what I mean? I told you, Renaissance man, and inventor, NFL star and athlete. Tell us about your book. I've been thinking about a book for many years. I had a lot of little stories jotted down. And once I started thinking a little more serious about it during the pandemic, I just kind of dove into trying to learn more about writing a book. Um, with master classes and um, bird by bird, which is a great book on on how to write. Um, so I just started jotting these stories down um, and pulling them together, weaving them together. Um, it was uh, hadn't really come up with a theme or or a title to it yet. It was it was something that just kind of I learned that just takes shape and all that will come to the surface. You got to write the book and the rest of it happens. But um, 
through the development of the book, I started really realizing the theme behind it. And it was always the between aggression and being a loving, fun, empathetic, compassionate person like my mentors, my grandfather, my father had always been for me watching these guys, just how they treated other people. And then I got around all the football players and, you know, you got to put on your macho hat and be a tough guy. And so it was just finding that, that even ground of the pendulum moving back and forth of, of what kind of person I'm going to be. And I've got to bring the aggression when it's needed and it's best for me at that time or be loving and compassionate, which is the real heart of who I am. Mm -hmm. And so as that developed, the theme developed and aggressively human uh, came to be. And you wrote this book as this is what you're doing in your retirement, right? You talked about this a little bit more off air with me in the green room last time. This is really what you're creating your legacy for, right? Yeah, and it really, really wasn't meant to be uh, a legacy. It kind of has turned into that. It was, uh, like I've always said, it's just, if I start on something, I'm not going to think it through too far ahead. If I would have thought writing a book, if I would have looked at the punch list of things that go into writing a book to get it through the process of an agent, of a, a publisher, and editing, and rewrites, and audibles, and and getting everything approved and getting it on a shelf, I would have never even thought about doing it. So it's just thinking this far in front and write something. And then it starts to develop. And then, you know, I, I did this with my wife as well. She really helped pull together my loose ends and, and uh, just worked as a good partner to bounce something off of. She'd be really tough and edit it and I'd go rewrite and, um, yeah, it was, it was just, it was, it was a beautiful process of, and it turned into a legacy project, um, that it's, it's, I, I couldn't be more proud of it. Um, the audible, I just finished listening to it's up on uh, Amazon as well, but I, I, it's, it's something that I, there's not one thing that I'm disappointed with, or I wish I could have done that over, not said it that way. It was, uh, the whole process was absolutely amazing. Um, and I, I just could not recommend that more for everybody. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful journey going back through your life and what made you who you are, the people that helped make you who you are, the mentors, the good mentors, the bad mentors. I really talk about the bad mentors a lot that people Ooh. would just bum you out that just, you see how they treat other people. It's like, wow. You know, I'm 10 years old and I'm seeing how they're treating somebody. And it's like, man, that's that's just a turnoff. And, you know, to a 10-year-old, you don't think the 10-year-old's watching you, but they're paying attention. Kids, kids pay attention. Uh, did you make sure they didn't come back at you? Because when I write my memoir, I'm going to have some people I'm going to be talking about in specific ways. A lot of them will be dead in wrestling, right? By that point, by the time I write it, they're going to be dead, but... You know, I have a lot of people I've run into in my life to get me to where I am today, where I'm not Steve Wright's level, but I'm getting there. That ultimately, when I do write my memoir, it's going to be a New York Times bestselling book. I've already, I'm manifesting that right now. Yeah. And it's going to, and it's going to really hone into a lot 
of the making of the media giant. But go ahead, Chris, with your next question. Uh, so, yeah, so basically, um, you know, he's had a pretty exciting life. I mean, a story you can't really, a <laughs> uh, story you just don't see a lot. Uh, any overriding principles you want to tell young people uh, that help guide you in the right direction? Yeah, you bet. That's a good question, Doc. Um, for sure, one is believing yourself. I, I, I say it in a book that my very best friend has always been and will be me. Um, I love myself. Um, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to do anything to harm myself. Um, that's taken years to hone. No, you do some pretty kind of stupid things when you're a younger, you know, younger kid, but believe in yourself, um, when an opportunity presents itself and it's, my thing is it's a gut feeling, go with your gut. You know, we've developed that through evolution over a million years. That's telling you to, to run or dive in. And it's always served me to go with my gut. And if you're going to go, go hard. Um, give it everything you have. You will love it. You will love it the more you dive into it. But so, that, yeah, just the, the open door and just giving your best effort and, and believing in yourself. Kind of my three takeaways from, from, from the book. That's a great point. And, you know, intuition is such an important thing. When you feel the first feel it, you got to go for it. You don't let that, that, uh, that other side saying, don't do it. The yeah, intuition I, is such a, you know. yeah, my, my thing is, you know, it's, there's, there's the heart, the gut, and then there's this, and this always gets you into trouble. You know, if you, you know, you, you're going to go out in the, with a girl or something like that. And you just start thinking of, all the different weird things a girl or business or opportunities i shouldn't do this i don't know i don't even know how to do that i don't know how to run a business well i didn't either i was a football player and it's just one thing leads to another and you're and even the book i you know there's a ton of rewrites i would have you know hey see write your write your write your memoir no way i i i, I couldn't be forced into it i had to let it happen when i was ready and then even then you know, there was just a ton of rewrites. But that's that's the crazy thing. And the good thing is Audible, because that's something where I'm going to really probably get a subscription to Audible, because that's only the time I have to read. And it's because I read things all day. Don't say, right. someone says, do you read? Yeah, I read every day, right? I, I'm an entrepreneur, multiple owns multiple businesses. I have to read, but getting a chance to read a book, Audible is the perfect way for CEOs and very busy people to listen and do it when they're working out, when they're specifically drafting an email, when they're doing certain things, instead of all the junk that's out there, read Steve's book. Good, Chris, and summarize Steve Wright. Oh, well, no problem, no problem. Well, there you have it. Like I said, a Renaissance man, a patent holder and author, uh, great athlete. Uh, he's had some great principles for our young people today to uh, help direct their lives. So, wow. Thanks for coming on the show, Steve. I was just so excited to have you on. My pleasure, doctor. Thank you for having me. All right. We just had a blast, Steve. And who knows how many more times you'll be on one of my shows I produce. But best place people can go is Amazon right now, but also other places as well for your book, right? Yeah, please uh, come to writeauthor.com. 
And I've got a ton of photos in there of uh, Bo Jackson and all my teammates and um, game, game shots. Uh, got my blog that I've been posting every Sunday morning um, for there's probably 20 blogs in there. There's also hot links to Amazon. And then if anybody would like a, a signed, I hate to say the word autograph, but a signed copy with a little note in there, just uh, let me know at, at writeauthor.com and I'd love to get something out to you and we'll go back and forth and send, send you a book. Oh, there's so many people, Steve, when I have you back. Bo Jackson, I'm a big mark of his, meaning like, as a kid, I love Bo Jackson, Bo knows. It's just like, the most quintessential person like if you look at a celebrity athlete in the 80s he's bo jackson's the guy absolutely i've got no some great, i've got some great stories in there he invited me down and went to a baseball game in anaheim and uh, got into the dugout and down into the clubhouse with him and yeah just fortunate to be blocking for all his long runs and he's just a great cat that uh um i feel super fortunate to have been a teammate of all right. Appreciate it, Steve. Thanks again, Chris. All right. That was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. Guys, take care. Thank you.